Second Chronicles chapter 7. All right, we're going to go through chapter 7 tonight. And uh, we talk about praying for our country. And, and there's a verse in chapter 7 that we'll get to a little later that I hold dearly to my heart and, and pray for our own country. And that's going to be verse, uh, verse 14. But we'll, we'll get to that when we get there. So uh, we're going to start here. We see Solomon over the past couple chapters have been uh, dedicating the temple, uh, finished building the temple. They're having a great sacrifice. We know the Lord came in, filled the temple up with his spirit, and he's, he's just dwelling there right now. And uh, as we get into chapter 7, we're going to see another act of God basically blessing off uh, and okaying what's going to happen in the temple. And we're going to see in a minute the fire coming down. So in verse 1 it says, When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifice, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. We spoke about that last week and the week before, just, just the glory of the Lord filling that temple. I mean, we could have been there to see that, how wonderful that would have been. What an experience it would have been. And now the ark is in the, in the holiest place. The priests have, have now left the sanctuary. They can't be in there because the glory of God is too great. We cannot stand before the glory of God. Not in the bodies we're in now anyway. So he's filling it up, and then he brings the fire down on the sacrifice, basically blessing what they were doing. Bringing down his fire, accepting the sacrifice, and just bringing gladness and joy and awe to the, to the crowd that's there, to the nation of Israel. And, and this tells me here, because while this glory, the glory of God is filling the temple, and, and the fire is coming down on the sacrifice, what were they doing? They were praying. They were sacrificing. They were praising the Lord while this was going on. And that tells me that if we want to feel the substance and the fullness of who God is, we need to incorporate prayer and praise into our lives. Because that is exactly what they were doing here. They had a heart-filled praise towards God, a heart-filled prayer towards God. They really wanted to see God move on their nation. They wanted to see God move in this moment. And if we want to see God moving in our life, there's two things that we need to do is praise him and pray to him. And that doesn't mean we do it one time. That doesn't mean we do it two times. We're in constantly in an attitude of prayer, constantly in an attitude of praise towards our God. Praise is just not what we do up here before we get into the word. We should have that attitude of praise day in and day out, 24-7 an attitude of prayer and praise. And then we see them here, we see God reacting to their prayer. We see God reacting to their praise. And I, I, and I know, I, I think I can speak for all of us in here. We want that in our life. We want to see that reaction from the Lord. We want to experience that in the Lord. That, that, that reaction of, of acceptance, that reaction of, 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 of loving us and filling us with his spirit. To where we just can't stand it no more, to where it's overflowing. And it's going to come through praise. It's going to come through prayer and our dedication to his word. That's how it's going to come. And in verse 3, it says, When all the children of Israel, all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord of the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, 
for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. They did the right thing. They positioned themselves right and bowed before the Lord. Because they, they, they knew the power and they knew the glory that was before them. And we need to do that too, is just bow ourselves before the Lord. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifice before the Lord. So everyone was involved in this. It wasn't just the king and the priest. Everyone was involved in what was going on. And King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 bulls, 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. So 22,000 bulls or oxen, 120,000 sheep. Now that's a lot of animals to be sacrificing. Yet even 22 million cows, 120 million sheep still doesn't pay for our sins. But the death of one lamb did. The death of Jesus did that for us and his resurrection did that for us. And we think about this, if we, if we can picture them sacrificing these animals in the slaughter. Now, some of us may have been hunting and had to clear, clear, uh, clean out a deer or, or rabbits or what have you. We know we have to drain the blood and all these different. This is what's going on during the sacrifice. They're cleaning these animals out. They're butchering them. They're sacrificing them. And we look at that and it's very gory and very, very kind of gross looking maybe to some of us. And we may think, well, why such a number of sacrifice? And why such a slaughter? But this is, this is painting a picture, of a, a picture of how serious sin is. Sin has to be paid by what? The blood. Sin is a serious issue, and I think we take it too lightly sometimes. Present company included, I, I do. I take it too lightly sometimes. I'll, I'll slip into sin, and, and, and I have to realize, it. Ah, I shouldn't have done that. The Lord is not pleased with that. It's not good for me, not good for my family, not good for my friends, not a good witness sometimes if I, if I kind of lose control of things. But sin is serious. And it took serious sacrifice to pay for those sins. And, and in the Old Testament time, the Lord would, would accept these sacrifices as atonement for sin. Now, thank God we don't have to go and, and sacrifice like this anymore. The sacrifice has already been done for us. On the altar, on, on the cross, has been done for us already. But God takes sin serious, and we should too, as his people. We should. And I think we often, we, we don't, but this massive amount of sacrifice is just showing how, how, how serious sin really is and what it took to be able to, to get those sins forgiven. In verse 6, it goes on, it says, And the priests attended to their services, the Levites also with instruments of music of the Lord, which David uh, had made to praise the Lord, saying, For his mercy endures forever. Whenever David offered praise by, this, by their ministry, the priests sounded trumpets opposite them while all of Israel stood. Furthermore, Solomon uh, consecrated the middle of the court that was in front of the house of the Lord, for there, were, for there he offered burnt offerings and the fat of the peace offering, because the bronze altar which Solomon had made was not able to receive the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, and the fat offerings. So we had talked about the bronze, the altar that he had built, how it was a lot bigger than the one in the times of Moses. And you would think, oh, he made a bigger altar, he'd be able to 
have more sacrifice on there. But it's telling us that the amount of sacrificing they were doing, that altar cannot, that altar cannot even hold all of those sacrifices. That's how much they were sacrificing. And we see them praising the Lord with the instruments that David had made. Because remember, David was a warrior. David was a poet. David was a maker of instruments. He enjoyed doing those things, and he made those instruments to be dedicated to those who were going to serve in the house and to be used in the house of God, and we see them using it right here. And it's a, and it, and it's, and it's a covenant that God had made with them forever that they were celebrating. Now, we'll see, and we'll talk about it later, but Israel has had his ups and downs with gods and his struggles with gods. That's kind of an understatement. But we know that these offerings... And, and such a huge amount was more than, than it was possible to even put on this altar. But the sacrifice that was paid for us was not too big to put on that altar. But we see them celebrating God, celebrating that covenant, and just, and just enjoying the moment and just being happy. And in verse 8, it goes on and says, And that time Solomon kept the feast seven days. And all Israel with him, a very great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt. And on the eighth day, they held a sacred assembly, for they observed the dedication of the altar seven days and the feast seven days. So they had this seven-day feast, uh, the feast prior to the Feast of the Tabernacle, uh, that they're celebrated here, one of the three main feasts uh, for, for Israel. They're celebrating this. It's the end of the harvest time, and they're just dedicating this temple to God. This full of joy. And it goes on in verse 10. It says, On the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent people away to their tents, joyful, glad of heart, for the good that the Lord had done for David, for Solomon, and for his people of Israel. Because of these large numbers of offerings that they, they, were, they were giving, it was peace offerings that were included in the joy that they had. They, can just, they, just, they just knew that the Lord brought joy to them. And in Psalms um, 16, verse 11, it says, You will show me the path of life. That's what the Lord does. He shows us the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. To be in the presence of the Lord is to be in fullness of joy. And you know there's a difference between being happy and being joyful. You can be upset and mad about things in life, but still have the joy of the Lord shining inside of you. And that's the light that the people out there that are living in the dark seas, they may not always see us happy and always with a smile on the face, but they know there's something different about us. And they're either going to love it or hate it. And that difference is the joy that the Lord gives us. is the, 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 the light, the joy, and the light that it shows to this world. And then in verse 11, it goes on to say, and at the right hand are pleasures forevermore. He gives us joy and he gives us pleasure in life. And Paul told us to watch to be content in all things. That means that we have to have that joy in all things, whether we're poor or rich, hungry or, or full or whatever it may be, that joy will get us through it all. That joy will pull us through those tough times. And that joy will make the good times even better. And we, and we see, see the joy that the people were having here because God was in their presence. And that's just, it's, it's just an awesome thing to see that. Now, I would hope that they would be able to keep this joy and this, and this feeling they had throughout their history, but obviously they don't. 
You know, there's probably a number of people that did, but a large majority didn't, as we, as we see history written. But we, we need to hold on to that joy that the Lord gives us. It is an awesome thing. Amen. In verse 11, it says, Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, and Solomon successfully accomplished all that came into his heart to make in the house of the Lord and in his own house. So he built it. Now remember, his house took longer to build than the temple did. But they don't mention it uh, right here because this is more uh, for you to learn more about the temple and the, and the way God viewed things here. In verse 12, it goes on. It says, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. Verse 14, it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, this passage here is telling me that we as God's people have a responsibility for our own country. And I think a lot of what's happening to our country is because Christians have remained silent and have been reserved and kind of held back. And, and, and we talked earlier about having the presence of God and, and when we have praise and when we pray, I think the lack of that has also held God back from doing things in this country as well and has left us where we're at today. You know, it says where we're at, the chaos that we're in right now, no politician, whether a donkey or an elephant, can, can do anything about it. The only animal that can do anything about it is the lamb. He is the one that we need to follow, and he is the one that can get us out of the mess we're in right now. So neither the Republican nor Democrat can do that for us at all. And we look at the chaos and the difficulty we have right now, and we, we say, Lord, have we, have we been failing you? Have, have we not been doing what you're asking us to do? And the answer really is no, because I think a lot of Christians are playing, but they're not praying for things. They're trying to play their role as a Christian, but they're not acting, actively acting out their role as a Christian. They, they like the title, but they don't like the work we have to do with it. And, and we, need, we need to get away from that because it, it, we've become real, you know, we've become accustomed to convenience and, 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 and pleasures and comfort where we're at. Whenever, uh, whenever I was at Fort Hood, we had a Bible study. We said we have to get out of our cozy corner because in the uh, Bible study that we held was in, a, in kind of a multi-purpose building. And it was in the back room in a corner and it had some nice couches to sit in. So we had to get out of our cozy corner and get out and spread the word, and do the works that the Lord has asked us to do. And we as believers, we need to be that light and that salt to this world and go out and, and, and be a witness and be that light. And also to ask for forgiveness for our country. Because in verse 14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. That's a pretty simple formula to how if you want to fix something that's, that's going wrong, like our country, this is what you do. If you want revival to come back to America, this is what you do. And he's telling, 
Israel, whenever, in verse 13, he says, When I shut up the heaven and there is no rain, and I command the locusts to devour the land and send pestilence among the people, he's not going to do that unless they're walking out of line with him. But he says, this is how you get back in line with me. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, will pray, will seek my face, will repent and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will restore them back to their land or I will heal their land. It's telling us in black and white right here what, what, needs, to be done, what needs to be done. And the first thing it says that they must come to him humbly. America is full of pride. So was Israel. And the pride is what kills us. Not only as a nation, but as individuals, we, we are very prideful. And we have to come to him without pride. And not fake, fake humbleness. We need to come to him with true humbleness of our heart. We also must acknowledge that our unworthiness and our sinfulness. That we are, we are dirty sinners. That's, that's what we are. And we have to realize that, that we're in need of a Savior. We're in need of forgiveness from God. And until you, until you can truly understand that, I don't know if salvation can really come to anyone unless they really understand where they stand with the holy God. And he's, he's saying, if you come, that you, you need to turn from your wicked ways. The only way you're going to turn from your wicked ways is knowing that you are wicked, that you are sinful. So he's telling us to do that there. And then he says for us to, we must pray truly from our hearts. A lot of us can probably say we, we give lip service to God sometimes when we pray. We kind of go through the motions and just ramble off some stuff. But you know when you're truly praying from your heart. You know the, those moments when prayer is truly coming from your heart. And you have that connection with the Spirit. And you know your prayers are being heard. And you know it's for real. You know, you know those moments. And he's asking us to pray truly from the heart. So he wants us to humble ourselves, realize we're sinners, have, have true prayer from the heart, and seek his face. Getting into the word and seeking who God truly, truly is. We need to know who God is. We, we need to realize that we're sinners. We need to come to him humbly. We need to seek who he is in all his glory that he has. We need to do that. And then we need to, and when we do that, we need to turn from our evil ways. Turn from, to, from doing sin and living for the world and turn to live for Christ and walking in his ways. And that's pretty much the salvation message. That's what needs to be done. Not only did this nation of Israel have to turn towards them, not only does our nation of America need to turn towards them, we as individuals need to turn towards him. And especially those who are not saved by his, by his grace, that are outside of salvation, they need to realize that they are sinners and that they need to be saved by grace. And who, how are they going to know unless we go and tell them? And that's, that's where the salt and the light comes in to where we be a witness to him. So the promise is to those who are called by his name, us as believers, if we, if we repent and we humble ourselves, we, we, we can be turned back around and he could deliver us back into uh, Back into our land. In verse 15 it says. My, uh, now my eyes will be open. And my ears attentive to the prayer made in this place. So he's saying in verse 14. When you humble yourself and you come to me. Now I'm going to be able to hear what you have to say. 
Now I'm going to be able to come to you and listen to your prayer. Because whatever it was, that sin that was blocking us, that pride that was blocking us, whatever it is, it's it's cleared. I can see you. You can see me. We're, We're connecting with the spirit. So now my ears are attentive to prayer and made in this place. And in verse 16 says, for now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. We talked a little bit about this last week, too, about his eyes being on the temple. And just like the temple, the Lord's eyes are on us and he has his name put in us. We're sealed with the spirit. So not only is he watching over us, his spirit seals us to be in Christ. And this is forever. This is not something that, oh, I'm going to sue you for the moment, then I'll crack the seal and let you go. And that's not to say that the Lord won't let you chase some of the desires that you think are so important. He'll let you chase some of those desires, but he's not going to let you go. He's going to bring you back in because he loves you and you're his child. Just like, you know, at some point I may have to let my child go figure things out on their own. But my love for my child will never stop. And I will always be there when they're ready to come back and they've, they've learned what they've had to learn. That's not to say I'm not going to warn them. That's not going to say that I'm not going to teach them the right ways. But at some point, they're going to have to make those decisions on their own. That doesn't change my love for them. That doesn't change me not being there for them. In verse 17, it goes on and says, As for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked, and do according to all I have commanded you, and if you keep my uh, statutes and my judgments... Then I will establish the throne of your kingdom as I covenant with David, your father, saying you shall not fail to have a man as a ruler. So here he's 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 showing them that you have to disobey what I'm telling you to do. Do as your father David did. And you say, well, David was a murderer. David committed adultery. David did this. David did that. But David's heart never strayed from God. David's heart never strayed. So if you feel like you're kind of walking out of sync with God and you're a born-again Christian, you're okay because your heart is still in sync with God because that spirit is, is, is witnessing that to you. And Solomon, we know, towards the end, walked away from God. He started worshiping other gods. He wasn't in line with what God had for him. And he said that, 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 that from Solomon... There would never be the one that would leave the throne from David's lineage. And in actuality, it wasn't because Christ ended up being the fulfillment of that. And he's going to be the one who's going to be ruling on that throne for eternity. And just like we talked about, God may let you go off for a moment as a father may have to let their children go off for a moment. And I said, that doesn't mean I'm not going to teach them. Here, he's, he's warning Solomon. He's letting them know. He's giving them a lesson. Hey, if you follow me in these ways, if you follow me like your, David, your father David followed me, everything's going to be all right. He's, he's warning, letting them know. But then in verse 18, it says, Then I will establish the throne of your, of your kingdom. We just talked about that. And I covenant with David, your father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man as a ruler in Israel. If you follow my statutes and you follow my commands. Then it goes on to say, if you don't, this is going to happen. 
But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, which he did, then I will uproot them from my land, which I have given them. And this house, which I have sanctified for my name, I will cast out of my sight and will make it a proverb and a byword among the people. So God is telling him, hey, you follow my commandments, you follow my statutes, everything will go, will go well. But if you step out of line and you start worshiping other gods, you start putting other things ahead of me, then I'm going to uproot the country. I'm going to uproot the people. And we see in the book of Kings, First and Second Kings, exactly what happened to Israel and what, exactly what happened to Judah. And I, and, I, and, I, and I look at this, and it still amazes me, the grace that God had with these people. Over 200 years he had patience with these people. For both Judah and Israel before he finally sent them off into captivity. 200 years, over 200 years he had patience with them to, to come back. Sending prophets, sending other people to warn the nation. Repent, come back to me. Verse 14, we just read it. The people who will call by my name will humble themselves and repent. He sent this message over and over. And, and a lot of people will say, well, that's kind of cruel, sending these people off into, into slavery and sending them off into bondage. These are your people. He gave them over 200 and somewhat years to get their act together, and they didn't. Not pray America would heed that warning. We were now over 200 and somewhat years old as a nation, probably living on borrowed time right now. But I pray our nation would, would repent and humble themselves and get back to the roots of this country of, of praying to God and serving God and wanting to live for God. For we don't get uprooted from this nation we love. But that's what we see happening, what the Lord will do if, 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 if they do not follow these ways. In verse 21, it says, And as for, as for this house, which is exalted, Everyone who passes by by it will be astonished and say, why has the Lord done this to this land and this house? It's talking about the temple, how it's going to be deserted at some point when they're carried off into into captivity and people are going to pass by. Man, their God deserted them. And look, they're leaving this house empty. Oh, man, what happened here? In verse 22, and it says, then they will, will answer because they forsook, forsook the Lord God of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt and embrace other gods, and worship them and serve them. Therefore, he has brought all this calamity on them. Follow God's ways. Keep your heart after God. And these calamities won't happen. Will you, will you get correction from the Lord? Will, will the Lord make sure that, that you're corrected and, and put back on path? Yes. But never forsake the Lord. Because he is good and he is graceful. And I asked God, I said, I said, for myself and those who are seeking his wisdom and seeking him, truly seeking his face to protect us, that we would never turn away from the Lord. And even if we do turn away, he's there waiting for us to come back to him with open arms. It's like the prodigal son who left. He returned back to his father and his father loved him. Got him the fatted calf, gave him a ring, gave him the best robes, loved him as he came back to him. And the Jewish people, I think, are a prime example. Prime example of this. Throughout the scripture, we see them 
serving the Lord wholeheartedly, and then they fall into to, to idolatry, and then they go into slavery, and then they cry out to the Lord, just like they did in Egypt. Lord comes, delivers them out of Egypt, brings them to the promised land again. Then what happens? They go back into idolatry. The Lord takes them off to Babylon. Then they end up returning back from Babylon. But God's forgiveness is, is never ending. He's, he's wanting to forgive us, and he'll continue to forgive us. We need to live a lifestyle of repentance, constantly repenting to the Lord. Just asking the Lord, Lord, today, hey, I messed up somewhere today. You know it. Forgive me, Lord. Let my heart be right with you again. I don't want to be away stray from you. I don't want to be out of line with you. I want to be in line with what you have for me and for my life and for whatever your will is. Get me back online. So daily we need to do that. Amen. Father, we uh, thank you for this message tonight. And uh, we do ask, Lord, that you just, just forgive us, Lord, where we fall short, Lord, and just help us and teach us to walk in your ways, Lord. Help us to seek your face. Help us to remain humble daily, Lord. And uh, just, just help us to get more like you, Lord, every day. And we give you all glory for that, Lord. We just ask for your blessing over those here tonight. For those who are not able to make it, we ask for blessings for them as well. And we just give you all glory and all power, Lord, belongs to you. In Jesus' name, amen.